Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Stellar Community Fund. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol podcast. With Coindesk founding editor of the Protocol newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Cowan here with my co-hosts Margot Nykirk and Sam Kessler. Excited to dive into today's show with the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains. First, please do not forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol on Coindesk.com. And now let's get right into it. We have a pretty incredible guest today, Jesse Pollack. Welcome, Jesse. He is the creator of Base, which is Coinbase's Layer 2. We spoke with Jesse last year when you launched Base, and that was a pretty cool interview when you're just getting going. We're going to just get an update from you on how everything's going at Base. But real quick, you know, ETH Denver for the Ethereans out there, Margot and Sam are both headed out there. Jesse, you're going to be there too, right? Yeah, I'll be there. And, you know, we, we just passed the one year anniversary of when we announced Base. Uh, we launched it the Thursday before ETH Denver last year. And then we were on the ground in ETH Denver last year. And it really felt like kind of a coming out party for us in terms of uh, getting to tell people what we were doing and kind of the vision that we had for the future. And it's so cool to be here now a year later and to be, you know, getting ready to head to ETH Denver tomorrow, uh, where I'll be there all week and feel like we've really accomplished a lot of our uh, initial vision in the first year. And obviously we're just getting started, but I'm excited to see everyone in person and get to to have a bunch of conversations about how we continue to bring the world on chain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating. Just one year, you know, it seems like we've been hearing about base for, you know, quite a while now. So that is pretty incredible kind of reality check to hear that that's only been a year. That was a test net. I mean, it's only been six months since we actually went to mainnet. So that's amazing. Yeah. We've done a lot in a little, little amount of time. Yeah. That is really incredible. Well, okay. So let's just dive in there a little bit. Six months in for mainnet. You know, what are some of the the lessons that you've learned or, you know, what are some of the things that, that you've taken away from the, those first several months? Uh, yeah. Of this? Yeah. 
When we started working on base about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I think we really said that there were three big challenges that we needed to solve as an industry if we wanted to um, kind of see the acceleration of consumer use cases coming on chain. And those were uh, lower fees, so making it so that it was actually cheap to transact on chain. And I think Base has made a huge dent on that. You know, we went from Ethereum, where the fees are often dollars or tens of dollars, to now the fees are, you know, in tens of cents. We're about to launch EIP four eight four four, which is an upgrade to Ethereum. Uh, that's happening on March fourteenth. Base will be there on day one using the new kind of blob space that's created, and we're expecting that to have a really dramatic uh, decrease in fees as well. And so, um, you know, I think in the last year we've made a ton of progress on fees. That was the first big kind of uh, roadblock we felt like we needed to solve. The second two. Um, the, the first is we need better wallets. And I'm excited to talk a little bit about, about that today. We, we, we still feel like there's a lot of challenges with um, just the consumer experience from a wallet perspective, where it's too hard, uh, it's too scary, there's too much complexity for people to actually use these apps, and we need to solve that. And I'd say the third one is uh, we need better identity infrastructure on chain. So people actually know who other people are on chain, and developers can build kind of world class applications around the, the kind of user identity that, that it exists on chain. And so I feel like we've made a ton of progress on the fee one. You know, this ETH Denver, we're, we're really focused on on the wallet one uh, and, and figuring out how do we make smart wallets the default, which is a, a big kind of uh, strategic pillar for us this year. Um, and then we're also making a ton of progress on the identity one with things like Coinbase verifications uh, that let you kind of get full Coinbase identity on chain. We launched that last fall, but then also the rise of kind of other forms of identity on chain, for instance, the Farcaster social graph, uh, which I think is enabling all these new use cases like frames. Um, that are predominantly built on base. And so, you know, we really looked uh, about a year and a half ago, we said, we need lower fees, we need better wallets, we need better identity. And I feel like in the last six months, we've dramatically decreased fees, and we're about to have another order of magnitude decrease. We've made a ton of progress on wallets. And I think a lot of the stuff we're, we're going to talk about ETH Denver is going to push that even further. And we've come a long way on identity. And so I think all of the pieces are now finally here. And we're starting to see this kind of creation and adoption of real world utility on chain that's going to bring the whole world on chain over the next few years. Maybe we can shift gears a little bit and talk about what some of those use cases are. So one of the really big things that happened on base that fueled a lot of your growth in the beginning was FriendTech, which was this social media platform that was kind of novel, uh, allowed you kind of sell to, to sell, buy and sell access to a, a, like a kind of Twitter like or X like version of a of a social network again gated behind tokens, but anyway, Frentech was huge, and then it kind of fell, um, you know, off off a cliff, um, in, in terms of usage. And, and I'm curious to hear whether you think Frentech, you know, it, it, insofar as it did contribute to your growth, do you think that that kind of lack of sustained adoption is, is something that continues to have an impact on base? And do you think that the you know Frentech or any other use case is going to be you know the "Quote unquote killer app for for base. Like, what do you think it's going to be? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of the FriendTech team and the FriendTech product user and and a longtime follower of the the team. You know, they 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 built a number of viral apps before FriendTech, um, uh, and and that was kind of how I got to know them. And you know, the way I look at FriendTech is you know, they're building a consumer social product, and building consumer social products is a really really hard challenge. You know, there's there's a reason why there aren't that many new consumer social products over the last decade. It's because it's hard. And because it requires kind of new breakthroughs in the user experience and, and the kind of network creation flows uh, in order to unlock that sort of viral growth that they're looking for and that many others are. And the way I look at FriendTech is they launched a V1. It was incredibly successful. And now it's just time to iterate and keep growing. And they're working towards a V2 launch. I think it's coming in March or April. Um, we've been supporting them on that. And 
I'm really excited to see where they take the product. And in general, I'd say that FriendTech for me was really at the edge of showing what's possible on chain. You know, they did the embedded wallets really for the first time at scale. I think that that opened up a whole design space that people hadn't really uh, experienced before. Uh, and that led to all of this innovation. They were doing obviously on-chain social. We've continued to see the rise of a ton of really incredible on-chain social, um, including FriendTech, including Farcaster, including other things like that. And I, I think they kind of kicked off alongside Base this rise of consumer on-chain. Uh, and I think 2024 is really going to be the year of consumer products coming on-chain. And I, I think FriendTech's going to be at the center of it. I think Farcaster is going to be at the center of it. And I think Base is going to be at the center of it. And so when I think about the impact that FriendTech had on, on Base and in general, this has had on Base is I think it, it's kind of pushed us to figure out, okay, what do we need to do to, to ensure that we're providing best-in-class tools for developers mm-hmm. to really easily build these consumer experiences? I think one of the ways this kind of has showed up in a results perspective is Farcaster, which is a you know on-chain social network, you know similar to Twitter um, or X. They launched this thing called Frames uh, about six weeks ago. It basically lets you have mini apps in the Farcaster feed. So with one click, you can mint an NFT or, or buy a, you know cookies, whatever it is. And when we saw that, we immediately said, hey, this is exactly the kind of thing that we want to see people building on base. And the team snapped into action. And now the vast majority of Farcaster frames are built on base. Uh, you know, I think 60, 70% of all of the transactions happening across the Farcaster network are on base right now, up from 15% uh, seven, eight weeks ago. And I think wow. that's really indicative of this fact that we have said, hey, we want to make sure we're doing everything we possibly can to let people build this next generation of consumer experiences on base. I want to sort of follow up with what we were previously talking about. And that's basically I want to tap into the fact that Base is built on the OP stack. We've Mm -hmm. talked about this a bunch in the past about how they were the winner of all the stacks, you know, who got Coinbase. But also, I remember as well in the fall, we had talked a little bit about the pillars that as a result of this partnership with Optimism Foundation, I guess, that Base would tap into the Optimism Collective. There are these pillars Mm -hmm. that you guys would follow. I'm also curious, as part of this agreement, is the Optimism Foundation also allocating a bunch of OP tokens to base? And if so, how many? Yeah. So we, all this is public. You know, you can go and look at it. We wrote a big blog post on it in uh, August, I think, uh, when we brought the mainnet live. As we thought about kind of where we want to focus our energy from a technology perspective, we, we talked to kind of all of the different technology stacks. And I think at the end of the day, um, we ended up working really closely with Optimism. There were a bunch of reasons behind that, the technology, the team. Uh, but I think one of the big ones was the, the fact that they really have been pushing the limits on decentralization and decentralized governance. And so as we thought about kind of base and bringing base to market, and we looked at what our strengths were, um, I think for Coinbase, obviously scale, distribution, kind of the, the rigor and impact that a large Fortune 500 company can make, but it's, it's still a centralized business. And I think when we thought about how do we complement that, it felt like optimism and the decentralized governance experience that they had um, was a really nice compliment. Um, kind of, you know, bring the scale and, and leverage of a large Fortune 500, uh, combine it with someone who's kind of pushing the edge of what's possible on chain from a decentralized governance perspective. You get a really powerful combination. And so we actually started building on the OP stack before we even had a deal. Like there was no, you know, deal that we made. It was like, oh, we'll only build on the OP stack if we get XYZ. We actually started building on it. Uh, we, we launched the testnet. We, we made a ton of progress because we really liked the team, the technology. And then kind of once we did that, we worked with the Optimism team to say, okay, we've contributed a bunch of value already because we've been building on the OP stack. We've been contributing changes. We've been uh, helping out with governance. Um, and we're going to contribute a ton more value over the next year. What does this look like from a kind of fair value exchange? And where we ended up was 
Um, you know, I think they're give, they they were earning out a grant of something like 117 million OP tokens over mm-hmm. six years that uh, allow us to participate in optimism governance. Uh, and and kind of alongside that, what we're doing is we're ensuring that base is a part of the super chain, uh, which is this right. kind of broader collection of chains that um, is going to kind of come together to create kind of one mega chain or a super chain um, that has a shared governance, that has uh, kind of interoperability between it, that has sh- shared security practices. Um, and, and those kind of combined things allow us to get that decentralization from optimism. But ensure that as we're kind of uh, getting that decentralization, participating in that decentralization, uh, base continues to have a voice so that when, you know, important governance things are, are coming up, uh, we have an opportunity to kind of share our perspective. And so we've actually already started doing this. So if you go into the optimism governance forums, you can see the mission and value statement that we've shared about how we're going to be participating in optimism governance. We're going to be partially voting ourselves. Um, we're also going to be delegating uh, a significant portion of our uh, tokens to other community members so mm-hmm. that they can have more kind of voice in these systems. And we're going to be continuing to learn and iterate and improve how we kind of participate because at the end of the day, this is totally new. You know, you've never really had a company like Coinbase participate in decentralized governance. We want to make sure that we are both working really hard to show up uh, our our best and also uh, kind of acknowledging that this is just the beginning of what's going to be a long journey. We want to be learning as much as possible. That also ties into just like broadly, you mentioned, you know, Coinbase, it's a big company. And this is one of the first forays we've seen of a larger company like a Coinbase engaging in a decentralized governance process. Another time that that happened was when you all kind of engaged in the debate around 4844, when it should Mm -hmm. be prioritized. And there was some controversy around then, around whether, you know, Coinbase, before it had announced base, was trying to wade into this governance discussion in order to push, again, I'm characterizing things as, you know, in terms of the, the debate around it, but there was this idea that Coinbase might have waded into this governance discussion to force the, the community to take on an upgrade for 844, which we're going to talk about, which is ultimately coming earlier than it might have otherwise. And in doing so, in, again, the words of you know these critiques, it might have been an example of Coinbase as a large corporation trying to shift the governance apparatus in a way that might not have been in the best interests of the larger organization organization being Ethereum, but was instead in its own interest. I gave like devil's advocate argument there, but I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that and how you can engage in a more, you know, transparently and what your principles are around that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we started working on 4844 two years ago, way before we started working on base. So I think we originally started working on it in March, 2022. And the reason why we started working on it is because we basically started building on chain products as a business. And what we realized was, okay, we're going to build on Ethereum layer two. We hadn't picked an L2 at that point. We hadn't decided to build one ourselves. But even looking at the L2s then, we were like, this is too expensive. Like, you can't operate at Coinbase scale on L2 if the fees are, are kind of the, where they are right now. Uh, you can get started, but you can't do millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people doing things. And so in March, 2022, again, before we started building base, we said, hey, we're going to start allocating resources towards fixing that. And we started working on 4844 with the Optimism Collective. Uh, and we allocated, you know, some of our best engineers at the whole company to basically figure out, okay, how do we push this forward? What that led to is we wrote the first implementations of 4844 and Geth uh, and uh, Prism and others. I personally drove the um, working group for 4844 for a year where I was running the meetings every week or every other week, taking notes, um, sharing it out. And we did all that because at the end of the day, regardless of whether we were working on base or not, we felt like this was a critical upgrade in order to push the fees down and bring the use cases forward. 
And I think when you look at the the kind of outcome that we've driven from that, uh, you know, I, I think you'll see that probably without those contributions from Coinbase, we wouldn't be where we are today from a, a kind of timeline perspective. Now, there's been a huge amount of uh, other folks contributing to making this happen. But having that urgency from someone saying, hey, we really need this, I think was an important input. And I think we did that in a really transparent way. You know, I, I was at DevCon that year and talked about why is this important to Coinbase? We showed up at all the ACD and ACDE calls, talked about why is this important to Coinbase? Why is this important for the broader industry? It was at the core dev retreats in uh, core dev retreat in Austria in January 2023. Why was it important back then before you had an L2? Like what was kind of the pitch in terms of this is important for Coinbase because of XYZ? Yeah. Because Coinbase builds on chain and all of our experience is on chain. And when fees are higher on chain, there's less experiences that we can build. When you were working with the Optimism Collective, just curiously, like, yeah. had you already made a commitment to build using the OP stack? Or did it just so happen that ultimately you made that decision yeah, further down the line? Ultimately made that decision further down the line. We started working with Optimism on 4844 in, in again, like March 2022. Um, at that point, we weren't just thinking about building an L2. We, we were okay. thinking about building on-chain apps. Um, we worked for about six to nine months, I think, in, in that world. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like post-DevCon, basically, after we'd had a bunch of conversations in DevCon, and we, we'd kind of gotten down further down that path, we, we decided, hey, maybe we should actually build this L2. And I think we wrote the first like real lines of code, um, at least for our production stuff, um, in like November, December 2022. We need to go to the break real quick, but uh, we're getting going here. <laughs> so, all right, we'll be right back with Jesse Pollock of Base. Have a blockchain project idea and need funding to make it happen? Look no further. The Stellar Community Fund is here to help bring your project to life on the Stellar Network. This year alone, over $10 million in XLM awards have been allocated across more than 100 innovative projects. And your idea could be next. Approved project submissions can receive up to $100,000 in XLM per project. So head over to communityfund.stellar.org to get started. Calling all developers. Score a consensus 2024 developer pass for just $109, but act fast. Only a limited number of these passes are available. You may have heard that consensus ain't for devs, but here's why you're wrong. Consensus is the only place you can fully immerse yourself in a multi-chain environment and learn directly from 20 plus chains, including Arbitrum, Chainlink, Solana, and more. Enjoy three days of intensive learning with technical talks, 40-plus expert speakers, and 20-plus in-depth workshops, including dedicated half-days for Ethereum and Bitcoin, and three full days of programming on our Protocol Village stage. Consensus 2024 is happening May 29th through 31st in Austin, Texas. Don't miss your chance to network at Curated Developer Meetups, find new career opportunities, and explore hundreds of side events and hacker houses around town. Grab your $109 developer pass today, but remember, this exclusive offer is limited. Visit consensus.coindesk.com now to secure your developer pass before they're gone. Explore the epicenter of blockchain innovation at Consensus 2024. And we're back. Thank you so much. 
Well, you know, just to sw- switch it a little bit here, Jesse, you're talking about Dan Coon and 4844 coming up and the fees, yeah. blobs. You know, I, I'm curious, you know, can you give us your estimate of what is the magnitude of fees reduction? And is that yeah. is that something that is like a pass through to customers or is that automatic to customers? Yeah. Like, how does that work? Good question. And before I should, I, I just want to say again, I'm so excited about 4844 and so grateful for all the hard work of all of these different teams that have been coming together to make it happen. And obviously, Base and Coinbase have played a big role in it, but so has Arbitrum. Um, so has Optimism. So have all of the core development teams like Geth and Prism and others. And um, it's just been a, an incredible example, I think, of this decentralized collaboration model of Ethereum actually working. Uh, and actually being able to take an idea all the way through shipping execution pretty much on time. And so I'm just so impressed with the whole Ethereum uh, core development process. And I feel like through this process, it's actually gotten a lot better and we're even better set up, I think, for the next year of execution. In terms of the, the concrete impact of 4844, it's impossible to predict exactly. And that's because what 4844 does is it actually creates a new market for something called blob space, which is basically where rollups are going to start storing all of their data. And so because that market doesn't exist, you can't say for certain, okay, here's exactly how it's going to be priced. It's going to use the same pricing mechanism, EIP 1559, as the existing market. So as there's more demand, you'll see these spikes and then it'll level off. It has this target and max. But exactly how much demand is going to be in the market, it's hard to know because the rollups will kind of provide demand. They're going to be consuming that blob space. But there's also other applications that could use that. Theoretically, for instance, like inscriptions or other things that say, hey, we want to have a storage uh, kind of data availability on Ethereum. Let's try and use that. Now, if you look at existing rollup usage today and the targets, I think it's like 4x less than the amount of data availability that's going to be available on target. Um, And so if we stay in the same situation where rollups are consuming 4x less than the data availability that's provided by default by Ethereum, it's going to be really cheap really, really cheap, right? Like we're, we're talking, you know, 90% reduction, 95% reduction, like massive reduction in costs. But then as demand creeps back up, it's going to find some stable equilibrium. And so the thing I've been kind of anchoring myself on is like, we'd be really excited if we got somewhere between like a two to five X reduction, you know, five X reduction in average fee would be something like, you know, sub five cents, um, sub three cents for for the average fee across Ethereum and and I mean across Base and OP Stack and other, other chains, a two x reduction would would be like you know in the ten to to fifteen cent range. A ten x reduction would be you know pushing us closer to one cent. Um, and when the base team thinks about our North Star, it is uh, sub cent transaction. And so four 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 is really just the start. There's going to be a ton of work that the base team and others are going to do over the next few years to increase that capacity of blob space so we can continue to drive fees down and then do a bunch of other work on things like the EVM to make it so we can increase gas limits and and, and further drive down fees. Like what are your costs versus what the users see? I mean, is that... Yeah, question. So today, the vast majority of user costs uh, are Ethereum data availability. I think it's like 90%, uh, maybe even higher than 90%. Uh, and so when the the fees come down from 4844 for data availability, that will get passed through to the users. The the way that the fee market on base works um, is the same as the way the fee market on Ethereum works. So basically, as there's more demand for, for block space um, in the form of transactions, and when the demand passes a certain threshold, I think our target is like 
10 million or 15 million gas right now. Maybe it's actually 5 million. I don't know. It's somewhere 5 to 10 million. Uh, once transactions start using up more than that target per block, um, you basically have a 1559 mechanic where the fees start to get increased every block. People have to pay that base fee and then they can add a priority fee on top. And so the fees for base today almost never have priority fees. You know, most people are setting their priority fees or their base fees to 0.0001 GUI, which is very low. And that means that the vast majority of fee that users are paying is going to Ethereum and uh, base is actually making very, very little margin. In a future world, you know, day one where the fees come down, all of that's going to get passed through to users because there's just going to be the same demand. uh, And so there's going to be the same lack of priority fees because we're not reaching that target consistently. But if you assume that there's some level of induced demand, where now fees are way lower, therefore we're going to have way more transactions, then you can imagine a world where we're going to actually start to have more kind of competition for block space on base. Mm-hmm. And that will push up priority fees, which could potentially increase the uh, margin for, for, for base. Now, I'd say just to kind of re-anchor us on what our North Star is, our North Star is to continue to drive down fees. Like we don't think about base as a, a revenue or profit driver. We're, we're not really interested in that. What we're interested in is making it as cheap as possible for people to transact in a secure, decentralized EVM block space environment that we think is going to be the center of the on-chain economy. That's going to be a global economy that increases innovation, free- freedom, and creativity. Really quick, like one thing yeah. optimism has always had is its fraud proofs. It does not currently have a mechanism on the Ethereum blockchain to validate what's going on base. And you use that technology. That might change. The, the fault proofs might come soon. Can you talk about like when you think those are actually coming? and how you communicate the current state of the technology to users with regards to security and decentralization? Yeah, great question. Uh, and, you know, we obviously communicate it uh, ourselves, but I think one of the really great things about Ethereum is that there's tons and tons of resources for how people uh, I- interact with and learn about this technology. And one of my favorites is L2Beat. Uh, and so you can go to L2Beat and yeah. you can look at... I love you know, it too, is, by the way. We, we check it out all the time. Incredible resources. Yeah. <laughs> Bless the L2Beat creators. They're really, really incredible. Um, but you can go to L2Beat uh, and you can look at kind of what stage is a rollup. And mm-hmm. generally, that's our favorite way of communicating it to everyday people because it's just easy to understand. You have stage zero, mm-hmm. you have stage one, you have stage two. Stage two is kind of maximally decentralized. Stage zero means there's tons of training wheels. Uh, and stage one means that there's some training wheels, but we're in a pretty good spot. Uh, and so base right now is a stage zero rollup. That means that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, great things that come with it, but there's also a lot of uh, training wheels that are in place. And uh, if uh, Coinbase or uh, Optimism, or actually if both of us were to collude, there could be risks for, for user funds. Um, uh, one of the things that was really important to us uh, from the beginning was that it couldn't just be Coin and it couldn't just be Base. We actually wanted to make sure that from day one, we set up the network in such a way that um, it was actually sufficiently decentralized that Coinbase or Base as a single actor would not be able to do that. And that's what we've done. Um, and so we're already starting from what I think is a pretty solid amount of decentralization, but we're pushing towards that stage one goal. I think it's coming faster than people expect. We, In terms had, of like timelines, do you have any, like, cause it's on Gorly, The I don't have a, a concrete timeline for um, mainnet, but I will say that we have it on testnet. We've been running it. We've been hammering against it for the last six months. I mean, almost a year at this point, the really big unlock was um, we needed uh, this thing called Bedrock, which is a whole upgrade to the technology stack. We shipped that in August. Vault proofs were the next priority. We got them live from a testnet perspective, I think in like October, November, and we've just been hammering on it. And so I, I think people are going to be pleased that it's going to come faster than they expect. 
So we have you on here today because you have an announcement for us, I guess, about uh, smart wallets. So why don't you go ahead and explain to our audience what this announcement is? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say it's less of a single announcement, more of an announcement of a ton of different things that are happening that we're really excited about. Um, and, and like I said at the beginning of the episode, we really think that one of the three most critical things to solve in order to bring the next wave of adoption is wallets and making them easier. And we think smart wallets are one of the ways we can do that. Uh, and what smart wallets do is they take kind of the, the wallet experience that all of us have had for a while, which is pretty confusing, um, has a lot of complexity and a lot of kind of fear and uncertainty that comes with it of like, if I lose this 12 word phrase, my entire identity, all of my money, everything will be gone. And they simplify it because they let developers build much more uh, kind of complex, but simple experiences around wallets. And so um, the thing we're really excited about is we've been supporting Coinbase to launch a smart wallet, um, which is going into testnet uh, live for developers uh, at Denver. Um, it's an awesome experience. Uh, it lets you go from uh, users having nothing to a fully set up on-chain wallet that works across all EVM chains uh, in seconds uh, with a passkey. Uh, it works everywhere, no apps, no extensions required. Um, and it's fully non-custodial. And so that's a pretty incredible uh, product coming from Coinbase. Um, another wallet product that Coinbase is launching is a fully embedded wallet. This is uh, enables users, uh, developers to fully white label uh, a wallet experience. So if you're an app and you don't want people to even know about crypto, you can just drop this in and it works right out of the box. You can log in with Google, you can log in with Facebook, whatever. And those two combined, the Coinbase Smart Wallet and the Coinbase Embedded Wallet are going to work really well together. So that developers kind of regardless of what they're building have really easy wallet experiences that let users go from never having interacted with crypto before to it just working in their app out of the box. And so those are kind of the headline things coming from Coinbase. Alongside that, Base has been working with teams across the industry to push this narrative and push this reality of smart wallets as default. So we now have uh, gas subsidies for smart wallets across, I think, like five different providers, um, Pimlico, uh, Biconomy, uh, Alchemy, ZeroDev, StackUp, Coinbase Cloud, which is also launching an account abstraction toolkit. So you can go get free gas if you're a developer, uh, get started building uh, today. We've been working on compression to lower the cost of smart wallet contract uh, uh, transactions. So they're actually way cheaper. Um, and then we've also been pushing core development with things like EIP 7212, which again is lowering the cost, making it easier for developer to build these experiences. And so I think our narrative for this ETH Denver is basically like, it's time, everyone. Smart contract wallets are becoming the default. The technology is better. It's going to let users have safer, easier, more secure experiences. And we want everyone to rally around that and make it actually happen. That's super fascinating. Thank you, uh, Jesse. I mean, that is clearly one of the big themes that you keep hearing over and over again is just trying to make the UX a lot easier and, totally. the, you know, the, the pass keys instead of the, you know, the phrases or whatever, uh, the private keys, but the um, pass phrases, uh, what do you call those? The, uh, the secret, <laughs> secret key. phrase. Seed phrase. Seed yeah. phrase. Secret key. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jesse. Really appreciate yeah, well, your time. Thanks for having me on, y'all. This is awesome. Love Coinbase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck out at uh, at at ETH Denver. Um, Great. And that is a wrap for this week's The Protocol. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about any stories or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line The Protocol. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on coindesk.com. See you next week. Thanks, everyone.